0: Okay, hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of my stream and podcast on the future of business and technology. Today's topic is super exciting. It is the biggest IT challenges for 2024 and to help me tackle this uh, I am joined today by two guests from Intel. I've got with me Jimmy Wei, who is the partner, technical sales specialist at Intel. Hi, Jimmy. Hello, and I've, and I've got Jeff Kilford, who is the director of enterprise and government segment at Intel. Welcome, Jeff.
1: I'm very pleased to be here. Thanks, Bernard.
0: Yes, maybe we can start by you giving us a, a little background of what you do at Intel and how you spend your day, um, in in your job.
1: Do you Sounds want to kick good. This
0: off, Jeff? Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Certainly. Um, for the last six years or so, I've done various category related jobs around the the client domain. So, uh, really responsible for looking at the global strategy associated with large enterprise and government, making sure that our field sales organisation have what they need to be successful. And then also you know collecting our telemetry from the field and from meeting with customers which is the best part of my job meeting with influencers customers uh, partners and so on and then helping intel form a more strategic roadmap based on that feedback but interestingly for the first 26 years of my intel career i was in intel i.t and for about six or seven years uh, kind of 2009 onwards i ran the client fleet at intel so i've been at the sharp end of running About 110,000 devices distributed all over the globe with very rarely a conveniently located IT organization to support them. So um, probably over the last 10 years as an IT professional and sales professional, I've met with upwards of 500 IT organizations and that really forms my world view of, of what's going on out there.
0: Very good. That sounds perfect. How about you, Jimmy?
2: Well, I came from this similar background with Jeff. I would go for Intel IT for a while before I moved to sales and marketing. So I've been doing this technical sales specialist job for like about six years. So my job is to talk to customers to help them understand the, the repo platform, the client platform that that we have in the market for commercial clients, um, what kind of features that they they got in there and how do they use them. Believe it or not, a lot of people buy repo and they don't know how powerful the platform is. i many going feature in there that can help them really making the environment more secure and manageable. So, we, so I spent a lot of time working with customers and partners to help them understand those and to help them really ma- maximize their return investment, return on investments in their PC purchases.
0: Perfect. So you, you both work with lots of um, different organizations and and you see what challenges they are facing. So what are the challenges that you believe will be the biggest IT challenges organizations are facing in 2024, Jeff?
1: I, I'm quite pleased I'm no longer looking after a, a large enterprise client estate. Um, and that's largely because I had to deal with a pace of change that was radically slower to what people are facing at the moment. And, it, and that pace of change is accelerating. And this is, I think, our big problem. It's that mm-hmm. the IT organization had already migrated from the backroom to the boardroom because all of the organizations, whether they're public sector or, or enterprise, they had to digitize. They had to replatform. Otherwise, mm-hmm. those organizations would be, become irrelevant. So board decisions became digitally based decisions or at least there was a, a digital components to those decisions and 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 you know a accompanying security strategy as well but what i'm seeing as we move into 2024 is again it's it's a it's an added acceleration in areas that just make it much harder to be an it decision maker a threat landscape that's exponential in nature both in terms of the sophistication of attack and also in the frequency of attack the sustainability movement requires a different set of Decisions to be made in the boardroom and IT have to be there. We see a lot of legislation coming into play as well. GDPR is a good example, but just the tip of the spear. And then internally, the IT organizations are, are constantly challenged by being a cost center, having to be optimized. A lot of pressure from the CFO, I'm sure, to do more with less every single year and still try and in the client domain shift left, become more competent at proactive management of the devices and so on. Then, if you add the fact that flexible working is definitely here to stay that's like an accelerator it's like an amplifier of all of these challenges that the modern it decision maker has to deal with
0: very good how about you jimmy what do you see as the the biggest challenges (laughs) we'll be facing in terms of it in 2024
2: I think similar to, to Jeff said, I think the, the security will continue to be the top concern for a lot of IT organizations as I talk to customers every day. And it's certainly one of the subjects they keep pouring, bringing up and ask what are the things that we can t- help them to secure those devices. And I think the, hype, the challenge of hyper work is continuing. I think IT organizations, some of them are still struggling to manage the environment with devices everywhere in the world. So how do they making sure they're compliant? How do they support users that are not in the office? It's still a challenge for for many IT organizations. I think the other thing that may come will be with AI. We will see a lot more AI usage model um, in the enterprise environment. But how do you keep those um, data secure and and how do you deal with the privacy concerns in the AI environment? I think that will be
0: challenges that are coming up as well. Very good. Yeah, this is this is exactly what I'm seeing. I think security and making sure your networks are stable and all of this are some of the, the basics. And then on top of this, we have this accelerating technology stack led at the moment by artificial intelligence, especially the big hype around generative AI. Um, what are your views on, if we look at AI technology in particular, what challenges do you see organizations will be facing in, in 2024, uh, Jeff?
1: I, I'm an optimist. And so uh, I I generally see AI as a, as a force for good. Um, and part of that comes from the background of all of these accelerating changes and how difficult it is to stay on top of the complexity. If we have a forcing function like AI, which opens up brand new experiences for the user and enables the IT organization to adopt things like AI ops as a brand new set of capabilities that can help gap up to that level of complexity to help stay on top. I think overall, that makes for a very good situation because we have this demand for computers a human species that's somewhere here for all of the problems we need to solve, the big human problems, and we have supply here. So without a revolution like AI, not just in the data center, but migrating out of the data center, the lap or the desk, so everybody has it, is ubiquitous. We don't really make inroads into that deficit. And then we have all of that complexity that I talked about pushing us down as well, because then we have to spend all of our time securing individuals rather than unleashing them. So I think this is a good thing overall, but it does drive a new set of problems for us to manage as the ethical nature of AI in and of itself. So next year, will we start seeing in healthcare, This is an example, decision-making, where we would trust the AI decision rather than the human intervention. Depends how that AI has learned what it knows. It might be open to bias based on the data set. And that goes for every single organization who's trying to use an AI solution, whether it's to catch uh, illegal behavior or it's to amplify business uh, results there's going to be an open level of bias depending on data sets. I think also from a security perspective, there's a $6 trillion cybercrime industry. If you treat that as a GDP, it's third after China and the USA. Uh, It's extremely sophisticated. It's backed by manufacturing. It's backed by an incredible amount of wealth and resources. We know they're turning their attention to AI at the moment. So we're in an arms race now to protect and defend on the one hand, uh, and they're in an arms race to try and build attacking weapons in order to hit organizations and individuals, no matter where they are. And then also from a, from a cost standpoint, can we afford not to adopt some of these amazing new use cases? There uh, are uh, probably going to be some level of price tag associated and a resource cost as well, both in the data center and there'll be, in terms of the, the client roadmap, you know there'll, there'll be an opportunity to adopt an AI PC early next year that could offer fantastic potential for a workforce. It could really unleash it. Um, But there's probably going to be software and hardware combined that's a different kind of spend than we've seen in previous years. And then also for me, there's the fundamental skills gap. So we have a technology now that's out in the wild, it's unleashed, but we don't have a workforce that's, that's suitably oriented in terms of its skills to manage it effectively, at least not everybody does. So when we look at all of those issues, there's a lot to think about. There's a lot to plan around. But generally speaking, this seismic shift in the advent of AI, it's looking pretty good in terms of delivering new experiences, open AI ops as a real strategy for IT decision makers, gap up in this, this compute deficit that we have globally. But um, we've got to deal with those issues as we go.
0: Very good. Jimmy? I think you're on mute, Jimmy
2: sorry about that
0: (laughs) yeah i think it's going
2: to be a a interesting challenge i think for the it organizations i think there will be a lot of pull from the end users to to use ai in various areas to to help them do their work and and improve the productivity etc but how do how do it provide the tools that enable them to use those technologies safely that's that's uh, I think that's something that um, IT organizations is going, needs to think about. And a lot of the workloads are running in the cloud today. So that's a uh, um, concern about, well, if you want those workloads, how secure are those data that is stored on the cloud? So I think we've, The AI building up on the PCs, the AI capability building up on the PC side, is going to address a lot of those concerns and will enable a lot of new usage model as well, not just for the productivity of end users, but like Jeff said, for security and for manageability of those PCs, um, helping those PCs to keep in compliance, um, helping to fight various threats on those PCs. I think that, that will be a Definitely for good for enterprise computing.
0: Yeah, I we, agree. So we, we've
1: we got guys. a great. Sorry, Bernard. Yeah, we, we, I mean we've got a great example on modern Intel platforms that that gives us a hint at how effective this could be. That the combination of um, having the security uh, act in different ways using AI, leveraging AI effectively. Um, and unleashing individuals you know, at the same time. So those traditional scales of protect somebody versus unleash them, deliver amazing experiences, or ensure they can't do anything. Um, we've got something within our threat detection capabilities called accelerated memory scanning. And this is one of my most favorite technologies that Intel has on our commercial platforms. And it's largely because it's powerful machine learning that's run off the GPU, not the CPU. So we've got a federated workload now of security that doesn't impact the overall performance of the device. it's so clever, it just looks at memory and it figures out what's normal for for memory behavior. So it can legislate for abnormal memory behavior. And it really helps protect against those modern threats of ransomware and crypto jacking. And when we do get into the AI PC era early next year, then the advent of the neural processing unit is gonna mean we can open up a huge array of security experiences, end user experiences as well. But it's it's interesting that our, our XPU strategy where The X stands for any processing unit that we have on the package of the device, now allows us to take very complex software workloads, some of which traditionally would sit in the data center, federate it across the neural processing piece, the graphics processing piece, and the traditional CPU, and then be able to do a lot more within the same envelope. So we do have a heritage in in building an ecosystem, our our OpenVINO uh, ecosystem, working very closely in the Windows machine learning ecosystems as well delivering kind of discrete machine learning capabilities that we haven't probably done an amazing job of telling everybody are running on 11th, 12th and 13th gen devices. Uh, but I think what's catching the eye at the moment is when we do switch gears, deliver the neural processing unit, and then we define the, the AI PC when we get into next year. But I, I like accelerated memory scanning because it helps us balance both sides of those traditional IT scales. And there'll be more more solutions like this available, not just from Intel, but We have a huge ecosystem of software folks that are rewriting their stuff at the moment or they're using machine learning to write more advanced versions of their software that we engage with hundreds of ISVs. Uh, And so we consider the platform where you begin to protect people and unleash them. And then you have the operating system that can inherit the goodness of those capabilities. And then we have a vast ecosystem that that design on Intel architecture that we can leverage when we move into that new era next year.
0: Very good. And I, I guess over the last few years, we've seen this this replatforming to the cloud to facilitate remote working. We have people bringing their own devices, a mix of devices. So do, do you feel that managing this remote work infrastructure is going to be a challenge for 2024? Or do you, do you think we've sorted that?
1: I, I think it's a huge challenge. Um, you know, we, when we look at the ecosystem as it is at the moment, then we, we specifically build capabilities into our professional platform, which is vPro, to directly help balance all of these competing forces and better support the remote worker. You know, we break it down into four pillars. First and foremost, it's stability and performance, because that gives us the best opportunity to deliver a great experience to the end user. From an IT perspective, if they're gonna have to leave somebody out in the wild working remotely, You want the most stable and the most powerful platform out there and so we have a stable platform program it gives peace of mind to the it decision maker that when they built that image and they've got those firmware and drivers all locked onto that device it should be good even if it's outside the firewall and then we have our two feature rich elements of vpro as well the first is manageability so you're probably aware bernard you know we have out-of-band manageability capabilities on vpro we have had for many years and so even with a compromised operating system you can reach out and re-image that device. You can boot to BIOS and, and work on the BIOS as if it's at your lap as the service desk agent. Uh, and then we have the security stack, which is, there's too many security capabilities in there. They've all got fantastic acronyms, but the some version of that is what we call hardware shield. And that's protecting people from the most, the latest, most insidious threats, protecting below the operating system. And so we've, we've built these platforms in order to help manage the IT expectations, the end user expectations, outside of the file or wherever they are, our concern is when, when those devices aren't purchased, um, how much more complexity must be involved in managing them or, or building assurance that everybody's adequately protected and then the IP of the is protected. I'm sure there's a lot of software that, that's then employed to try and make up for the deficit of these in-silicon solutions that are typically safer than, than you know, just solutions that are in the operating system or above the operating system in the software itself. So. I think there's an enormous amount of challenges. When I speak to IT organizations, the decisions they make are increasingly leaning towards a vPro platform. I don't know if you see that as well, Jimmy.
0: You unmute again. Keep forgetting this.
1: We, we we need an AI. You need an AI. Exactly. sees the mouth moving and gets rid of the mute button. Sorry, Jimmy. Yeah. No, sorry about that.
2: So yeah, definitely. Um that's um what I've been hearing from customers as well. They they want help in securing the platform, they want help in managing those platforms remotely when, when the employees bring the, the PC home. Um I was actually in several customers meeting this week and just talking about why that they see a lot of value in being able to help them manage those PCs without actually sending a technician to help their employees. Mm-hmm. It, not only save a lot of cost for IT, but uh, to save a lot of CO2 emissions as well, which is very important these days.
1: Yeah, we've got a white paper out there at the moment um, where a telco adopted a zero ship model. And it's tens of tons of carbon offset because now you really don't have to package and send devices around. You can just reach out whether the operating system's compromised or your manageability software is compromised. It just doesn't matter with vPro once you've got that out-of-band manageability capability switched on.
0: And do do you feel that sustainability is on the agenda of your customers? I I, I guess it will be on the agenda, but do they actually make purchasing decisions based on sustainability?
1: Yeah, increasingly we're seeing, um, you know, when people go to tender and they're really looking seriously at what they want next in their devices, there's a sustainability element that's cropping up quite frequently. Kind of started in government, but we're seeing it crop up in large enterprise a great deal at the moment as well. And, you know, one of the things that, that we're uh, very proud of is as we look incrementally at our, our future roadmap around the client PC, you'll see a lot of focus on low power, um, you know, highly complex workloads, increasingly being able to adopt more and more to run on the device within the same power envelope. Um, and we, we pay a lot of attention to that through the design, through to the uh, platform build with our OEM partners and beyond as well. But also from a, from, a, um, from a sustainability credentials perspective as a factory, then you know, we're fiercely proud of the fact that we're, we're ranked the number two sustainable company in America at the moment by Barron's that has an extensive list of um, items that they look at in order to build out their, their top tables. And, and we're a multinational manufacturing company. So you know, we use 100% renewable energy in the US and Israel and other places where our factories are worldwide, 93% usage of renewable energy we return more water back to earth than we actually consume because of our investment in watersheds and so on as well. So those big ticket items as a big factory company, we're very proud of and then the devices we make that, which actually only account for 20%, of the overall carbon emissions of a, of a device from the, from the first boot to its end of life. It represents 20% versus the 80% that's in acquisition and materials and, and manufacturing. We'll continue to innovate and make sure that those devices sit less and less power. Can drive these incredible workloads that are becoming more and more complex.
2: Very good. Yeah, I definitely see that among customers as well because I got usually at the end of not at the end but in the middle of the meeting I usually get a lot of got, got questions about how how green are your products and how do they how what kind of things we can help to to help to help customers to reduce their CO two emissions and save energy as well.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. We, I was with it. I was with a client yesterday, and they have now put sustainability on par with pricing for all their tender, um, for all their tenders on any IT equipment, which I, I find super interesting.
1: Yeah, yeah. And if you look at the capabilities of VPro, you can see in there the the ability to remotely triage devices with compromised operating systems. Great. Naturally, there should be some positive impact there to your business. of so, the lack of shipping and packaging. If you have a look at remote platform arrays as a capability as well, you've got the opportunity to really take care of the end of life of that device. there's other things uh, within the stack. There's something that we've introduced quite recently called platform service record. And what this does is it monitors the usage of that device over its lifetime. You can get a real sense of kind of year three, year four, whether that device is ripe for remanufacturing or refurbishment and redeployment into a different persona, perhaps within your organization. Whether something pretty catastrophic has happened to it. it's been dropped down the stairs, I'm pretty sure it is no stairs, we just knew it was dropped, or it's been experiencing excessive thermal conditions, there'll be indicators in that telemetry that say, actually, this device should be reclaimed. Uh, and uh, you should be able to then partition devices that are great for reuse and devices that have been too compromised. But we, we have that telemetry built into the vPro platform, and that's accessible by our ISV partners to be able to go and have a look at.
0: And the the other big challenge we are seeing is around cost optimization. I I think, as, as you said earlier on, Jeff, that IT organizations are seen as cost centers, they need to optimize costs. Um, at the same time, they need to drive innovation. So, how do we balance this? Because for for me, with lots of the clients I have and organizations I work with, especially at the beginning of this year, I saw a shift in 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 them to really focus on cost optimization and 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 cost reduction. Do you see this continuing into 2024? And and how do we balance the 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 the, the cost optimization part with the driving of innovation?
1: I think what we always see, Bernard, incrementally is the technology just gets better. It's not just an Intel phenomenon, but you know we put features in there that are specifically de- designed to help deliver more for less. And when we compare a modern PC relative to four or five years ago, we look at the workloads that you can run on there and the cost of operation of those devices we're still on a steady decline over time. Now, there might be defects in that line, but if you drew a straight line through it, we're still going in the right direction as as a whole industry, and and Intel wants to lead that industry as well. I think one of the important things is we've got to understand the appropriate workloads. And this is the difficulty, really, in, in trying to cost optimize at a point of time today. You know, I see organizations that want to just buy something that just about adequately runs the current workload, and then they want that asset to be in the, in the environment six years later. And I see lots of problems associated with that. And I made this mistake with Intel myself. You know, it was kind of buy cheap. There was a big Windows upgrade. This is kind of circa 2008, 2009. And we couldn't use the capabilities we really needed to, and I incurred a pretty big cost in an out-of-cycle replacement that we had to do with an Intel. There's organizations where I see they're legislating for that unknowable workload of the future, really, the two or three years' time, and they make very sensible decisions around, look at the exact things that your personas need to run, and then match a device to that that can certainly handle those personas, and then have a look at that, that legislation for what is it going to run in two or three years' time. It's pretty safe to say, as we've touched on this several times, lots of AI capabilities and features that our users are definitely gonna pull IT for. So if we buy a system that just can't run that or can't run it effectively, so all you do is burden a poor CPU by trying to run absolutely everything on it, then I think we're gonna have out of cycle, expensive problems to deal with in future. So we always advocate, um, you know, there there are some benchmarks out there like Sysmark, that's your Office 365, it's the browsers that everybody uses. It's a good representation of what you're gonna see when you bring a device into the organization relative to what you see in a pristine environment when you put a fresh Windows build onto it. And then if the absence of any kind of benchmarking, because everyone has a certain distrust of benchmarking, everybody's got a stopwatch on their phone. And so, so look at your workloads, put it onto a device, and really see if you're still unleashing the individual, or after you've put your IT build on there and you've protected the individual and your IP adequately, can you see that you're pretty close to the ceiling? Are there going to be problems in the near in the near future not not even the distant future so software loads that are really relevant for the, the work that we do the persona definition being pretty robust so that you are matching you know workstation level devices for those engineers that really require discrete graphics where it's pretty quiet um, have a look at the ai workloads you want to run in the future and then have a look at your architecture to see whether it supports that there's a lot of decision making in there but but i'm sure that people can start to find the right model of purchasing the right device, putting the right load on top, and then it will extend for its natural lifetime. You won't have to incur an early refresh.
0: Very good. Anything to add, Jimmy?
2: Yeah, many years ago when I was in Intel IT, I worked on a program called IT Business Value. So so exactly that, IT is always looked as a cost center. How do we help IT organization to show the value that they're bringing to the business? So we de- developed a methodology to I- help IT organization to quantify the, the, the output of their, the IT investments. So I can give an example me. I work with a large retail chain in Europe, they have 1000s of stores in, in Europe, and they, they have refreshed their point of sale systems, repo systems. So what they can do afterwards is that they can use the AMT or Intel repo technology to manage those devices, what they're doing now is at night, they're turning off all the devices automatically. So when the store shuts down, they shut down all the devices in the stores. And then if they need to do maintenance work at night, they would use the technology to turn them on, perform the, the maintenance tasks and shut it back down again. And then the next morning, they will use the technology to turn on all the machines in the store before customers come in. And if they have problem troubleshooting, problem turning on any devices, they can use the technology to do troubleshooting. So, well, you know, look at, if you look at this, this is just technology implementation, right? But what they, they did is that they did a study on, on the deployment and found that they have saved millions of dollars of electricity. So they have saved tons and tons of CO2 emissions. So, the, those are actual business value that IT can help
0: to demonstrate to the business. Very good. Do you have that? That is a really good example. Do you, Jeff, do you have any other examples of customers that have really managed to deliver? On some of those challenges and overcome them, and we talk about we talked about AI, we talked about um, cost optimization, we talked about data privacy, sustainability, all of those big challenges. Any good examples that come to mind, and and, and any learnings from that?
1: My favorite is is the telco example because that that was a very large fleet. Um, And so you get an amplified set of challenges with any large distributed fleet. Um, And by adopting AMT in particular on the vPro platform, it was the sustainability credentials that they were most interested in. But they also had a slew of positive uh, effects that came from it. The customer satisfaction of the employees in the organization went through the roof on the proactive side of the business from the service desk. And I've noticed this internally in Intel IT as well. I was, I was lucky enough to be uh, driving our reactive to proactive strategy for device support. And when you look at customer satisfaction for proactive management of the fleet, it typically sits around a 95%, 100% mark because our employees were cognizant of the fact that we were looking after them, we were seeing defects automatically, and then we were able to triage those remotely. We could reach out and say, hey, just you know, here's a solution for you. We see that you've got this particular issue. And we had some really nice side effects, like removing 80% of the blue screens in the organization within the first seven months of deploying that kind of proactive telemetry. Hmm. And I think that that's where we're seeing the biggest positive changes, the organizations that are looking at the data that they have and building out their problem and incident management databases with real telemetry, system-generated telemetry rather than user-generated telemetry coming from a phone call where there's a high emotion and the Service Desk Agent may not note it down quite correctly. So cold, hard data, really, and lots of it. Then the ability to sift through that data and come up with a short list of actions to go take, and then iterating around that. And the other thing that I've seen that's been highly effective is using those automated telemetry environments for your change and release process as well, so that all the software that you deliver, all the hardware that you deliver, goes into a a Ring's architecture and you could very quickly see defects as long as that's an automated process. And your time to, at least with Intel IT, our time to uh, detect a critical defect went from 50 minutes to five minutes. You still have QA, you still have human systems in place because they're highly valuable, but then when you can build that automation around defect detection, you've got an easy change and release process where you can put a lot of changes into the environment, in the real environment, not just within the labs where it's more of a kind of petri dish environment, Then we see people be very successful do shift left and when they shift left those engineer level calls that are quite expensive they those guys start to get repurposed in how do we deliver new services how do we consume ai features what's going to be most appropriate for supporting the business It's second level in your first level then involved with you know more repeatable triage and you have some self-healing opportunities as well depending whether you buy it or you build it internally where you can get tens of thousands of these defects that would typically cost you money as a service desk, um, you can get remediated automatically. And so we've done all that manually because of the era that we were in, but I also know as I speak to IT organizations, there's still that will to go through the shift left process, managing all of the things we talked about, all the external forces, but it gives us the opportunity then to take that experiences and protection set of scales and move both sides up at the same time. So I I think the automation the data, the telemetry, and good business processes wrapped around that to make change and release a lot easier.
0: Very good. What would what be your, your top tips, then, Jimmy, for anyone who wants to thrive in this digital world and overcome some of the challenges we've, we've talked about?
2: Um, I think, the, well, the, the two things I think that, that really need to be focusing on for people managing a distributed fleet of devices. One is um, the security of those devices, because in the, in the past days, it's when things are within the internet, it's very easy to manage. Right? You, you, you don't have external threats coming in as much as you are in a public internet. So um, for PCs working at, for PCs that employee brings home, so those are very vulnerable to different types of attacks. So you really need to step up your security protections on those PCs. And secondly, is when security when um, a security pitch really happens, how do you respond to it? how to manage those devices so that we can, can we co- you can recover from it very quickly? I think those are the two things that, that IT organization should be focusing on in managing their devices in a modern environment
1: very good yeah yeah thanks bernard i I think that one of the things that that is important is staying current and up to date you know we we do want to provide sustainability support from a features perspective and then that's what we strive to do with our commercial platforms but in four years this is an external study to intel in, in four years just in a few generations of our commercial platforms, we've re- reduced the attack surface by 70%. And, it, and it's really big movements like that that become significant when you're, when you're buying a modern platform because it's very difficult then to, to buy maybe an older device or a less expensive device and forego quite of well that protection. To your point around the cost, I know it's on everybody's mind. It's kind of top two or three whenever I chat to end users as well, but that cost of breach uh, and the ease of breach these days it's difficult. Uh, and it's hard. It, it's hard when you know that the very best protection is, is baked into the silicon on a modern platform, supporting a modern operating system with the very latest <laughs> software on top of that operating system as well. But it's significant. So I always do say, you know, where, where you can, you've got to stay current because you know these aren't insignificant changes that we deliver with each generation. They're specifically tailored for everything that's problem, you know, every problem that you have at the moment especially around threat in particular. You know, we've we've got a huge ecosystem that's monitoring that, and we turn those threats into opportunities to defend yourself with each new generation.
0: Yeah, and I I guess what became very clear throughout our conversation is that there are huge opportunities that come with all the technology, opportunities that that we've talked about, but there also come threats and risks. So one of the questions I like to ask all my, my guests is, what about the future are you most worried about and what about the future are you most excited about jimmy do you want to start off off on that certainly i
2: i think the most excited thing that i'm i'm excited with coming that is coming is is ai i'm really looking forward to it um, the, the things that ai will allow us to do on the system is going to be my buckling. and i think you also enhance the security of the system as well um, using the AI technology. So so I was using a virtual background earlier, so I wasn't happy with it, so I removed it because there wasn't enough power on the PC to deliver a good experience. That will change next year, so I'm, going, I'm really looking forward to it.
0: Very good. How about you, Jeff? I'm
1: with Jimmy. Uh, you know, my 1992 dissertation uh, I did a systems analysis degree. Was on artificial intelligence as an enabler of the business, and and here I am a dinosaur after thirty-two years in the industry. And finally, you know, it, it, the the shoe has dropped, and, and we see the the cascade of opportunity that AI is going to bring. And I think that's that's what we're looking at. We're looking at a, a you know, it's a, it's a Pandora's box of opportunity. But there was a downside with Pandora's box, and that's the thing that that concerns me as well. It, it's that. Um, weaponized version of AI is my biggest concern, um, but I'm very excited by the features. Just as a, an end user, some of the things I'm seeing across a wide spectrum of applications, um, I just want them and um, they look fantastic. I think they're really gonna help me be at my best when I'm at home doing my work and collaborating with people and working with customers. But I also want uh, you know, the, the security PhDs in Intel to look very closely at how the threat landscape is forming and leveraging AI at the same time.
0: Very good. Thank you so much. That was fascinating. Thank you for sharing your thoughts on the future IT challenges or the IT challenges for 2024. Um, for anyone, who ever wants to re-watch or re-listen to any of these, simply head to my podcast or my YouTube channel where you can find this conversation as well as hundreds of others like it. Thank you, Jeff, and thank you, Jimmy.
1: Thank you. Thanks, Bern. It's been a pleasure.
0: Yeah, likewise.